So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Trends, sex advice, and true stories in your handy monthly pullout. Here's what's coming up today. There was blood everywhere. Just lip split, cut up on my cheekbone. Quite a lot of bleeding. Can martial arts save your life? I meet the listener who says in his experience, they can. Plus... Don't assume that because this is a Catholic school, it's necessarily going to be totally anti-LGBTQ. How do you teach sex-positive values in a strict Catholic school? Alex Fox has some solutions. And Ollie Peart gets his lips around a grasshopper. It's all to come in this edition of The Modern Man. But first, your letters, and thank you Nathan, who's been in touch following Ollie's triumphant escape room creation last month. Nathan was so inspired by what he heard on the podcast that he created his own in his sitting room and posted a photo to my Facebook wall. Uh, He says the pit-style pimped party poppers were the highlight of the day for his four kids. Uh, And that is evident from the photo, actually, because there is much party popper debris on the floor in the background. Um, I shared a short video of us madly dashing around trying to do Ollie's escape room a few weeks ago, and it was amusing to me, as a man who works predominantly in audio, that for many of you, the escape rooms that you'd built up in your imaginations was uh, not matched by the reality. Uh, Alex on Instagram was typical. He said, Ollie's escape room had more potted plants than in my imagination. That is true. It was uh, done in a converted office space. I think, you know, when you're setting up a a fully themed escape room, you tend to move the potted plants. But in this case, it was a day's pop-up, so they were incorporated. Um, And, you know, why not? If the apocalypse hasn't quite happened yet, which was the premise of Ollie's escape room, perhaps the potted plants would survive. Uh, Before we get on with today's episode, a quick reminder that we are here your servants, delivering this content into your ears. Thanks in massive part to the support that you give us. Uh, Alan in Taiwan has sent us £25 this month. Very generous. Thank you. Uh, He says, Ollie, I'm actually a YouTuber trying to build up enough of an income in order to go full-time and live in South Africa with my son. Long story. The only way I could send you beer money is via PayPal, which is where one of my fans sent me £25. I'm paying it forward to thank you for years of entertainment Uh, isn't that amazing we will not be paying it forward uh, to other podcasters because we need it to make the show Uh, but thanks very much and lucy has a similarly heartwarming story she sent us a tenner Uh, she says ollie i got this as a reward for being a nice person i received a parcel that wasn't mine and then sent it on to the real customer so i'm now passing it on to you for also being nice people Uh, extraordinary Uh, do buy us a beer if you can links at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk the best offer we've had though this month isn't financial at all it was from Gary our ambassador for Austin Texas he writes to say I'm not sure if you guys are planning to come to South by Southwest this coming year 
But if you are, my wife and I would like to offer you our guest room as a place to stay. We live across the street from the convention centre. We're in the heart of downtown Austin. We sat on our balcony last year and watched Questlove play below us. Uh, Well, Gary, I wasn't thinking of going to South by Southwest, but I am now. It's always struck me as a very exciting thing to do, but I I don't quite know what we'd do if we got there. If you have any ideas of things we could actually broadcast that we could record in Austin, Texas, when we got to South by Southwest, do let me know because we now have some potential accommodation. Gary, hold the room for now. Uh, Right, on this week's show, you will learn how to do an arm drag. You'll learn just how much money you can make from designing a dildo and you'll learn what to do with the larvae of the black soldier fly. In fact, that knowledge will come to you imminently. Let's go. Time for the zeitgeist, your trends tested with everyone's favourite bearded man who doesn't live in a grotto. It's Ollie Pitt. I'm confused as to what you just said. You were tasked last month by Alicia to look into the use of insects as opposed to livestock or other mammals' meat in pet food. Livestock? What a weird way of putting it. <laughs> I've learned that insect pet food is a thing. Yeah. It's something that you can get a hold of. And Give actually, me some stats. Well, look, first I'm going to say that one of our listeners got in touch, a guy called Tom Niche, and he got in touch because he makes it. A niche industry, if you like. So I had a chat with Tom on the phone, and he told me loads of stuff about insect pet food. So to produce it... You need one teaspoon of the larvae to create 100 kilograms of protein. Uh So, space-wise, it's much, much better. And just forgive me for being completely layman on this. Larvae, definition, isn't that eggs? Yeah, exactly. They're actually using the larvae of the black soldier fly. And it's it's, it's made into like a big old paste. And you get the food. And the food is like... It's just it looks like little dog biscuits, little cat biscuits. Do you feed your cat like the, the the hard food? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it looks exactly like that. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference, basically. So but inside is like black soldier taramasalata. Yeah. What does it taste like? I'm guessing you didn't put one in your mouth. Of course I didn't. What did your dog think? Sorry, Milo. I should call him by his name. He's familiar to the listeners. Yeah, he definitely should. How is dear Milo? Oh, he's very well. Good. Thanks. Glad Thanks. to hear it. But, but he's old and he's got smelly breath and you kind of have to uh, think about his food. You can't just feed him anything. Feed him anything too rich. That's oh, so his tummy trying him on this I was a bit sceptical at first but I spoke to Tom about it he's like look he should be fine the food's hypoallergenic and it's hypoallergenic because dogs have not sort of had the time to build up an allergy to insects because they eat chicken and cows and pigs huh why is it the ethical choice in the first place though because especially for you as a pescatarian who doesn't mm. particularly like killing animals for food for you or your pet yeah why is it better than killing a chicken or a pig well, the, fir- the first it must be hundreds of insects, right? I mean, I know it's larvae. Yeah, potentially millions, hundreds yeah. of thousands. Yeah, it's a lot. Firstly, is it, the, the environmental element of it. So I gave up eating meat, yes, because I don't like the idea of a cow getting a bolt for its head, but also environmental reasons. And the stats back that up. How many litres of water do you reckon it takes to produce one kilogram of beef? Oh, I hate questions like this. Come on! I don't know. I don't know how many litres of water it takes to do anything. I don't know how many litres of water it takes to clean my windows. I don't know. Uh, 200. Ooh. 22,000. <laughs> I, I, I love that you didn't like it, but when you, but when you thought you might be like, you were like, was I close? Was I? No, you weren't. 22,000 litres. 22,000, wow. And for a kilogram of crickets, it's one litre. And so, do they farm them here in the UK? There is a farm in the UK. There's one in Wales. 
but one of the biggest farms at the moment is in the Netherlands. So there's a company there called Protix. They're the company that produced this black soldier fly for dog food euro, which is the stuff that I've been testing. Okay. And they, if you're being very strict about this, shouldn't you then factor in the carbon emissions to get it from the Netherlands to the UK to feed your dog? Yeah, but even so, it's still substantially less. And what did Milo think of it? He loves it. Oh, and, good. And he is a fussy eater. And actually, Tom told me that insect protein is easier to digest for both humans and animals and he's had feedback from people that have bought his food saying it's much easier for me to pick my dog's poo up and that is a good thing okay so the brand's called what was it Eura it's called Eura Y-O-R-A and how much is it it's about 14 quid for a bag okay so that's the same as like a top end dog food isn't it yeah it's 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 premium so would you switch to this because I I guess as a you'd prefer wouldn't you if Milo was vegetarian but animals need animal protein yeah i i think i would I, i'm gonna try him on it for a bit longer and then see how he goes and then yeah if he likes it and he carries on with it and he's healthy then yeah i will okay and from one dog's dinner to another uh, keen listeners will recall that you were also tasked with cooking me a three-course meal based on insects i was Can't and wait. i hope you're hungry because mm. i'm about to cook up a storm in the kitchen <laughs> So here we are, Ollie. There are culinary smells filling the air. Why, thank you. Some are pleasant. So you're saying thank you. <laughs> Some of them are seriously unpleasant. Are they? It's, well, it's a combination of different flavours. You've gone for, as far as I can work out, an Indian starter and a Thai main course. Is that right? Hey, listen, I'm, I'm not a chef. No, right? I'm that's just trying, evident. I just thought that it'd be quite good to do recipes that have strong flavours as to disguise the insecty element I mean here speaks a cook with real confidence in source <laughs> ingredients <laughs> look you challenged me to do it. it let's face it they look disgusting well okay so I mean I was watching from afar you mm-hmm. pouring some of the ingredients into what we're about to eat yes and some of them look like um, a spice like they've been crushed so finely that it's just like you're adding you know cloves or something yeah and some of them look like whole crickets with wings and legs and everything. Because that's exactly what they are. Yeah. And actually, to start, before, because I'm just waiting for some of it to finish, because I haven't finished yet. Oh, boy, we've got to let the flavours develop. I've got some little snacks. Uh-huh. So if, you, you know, if you're inviting somebody over for an insect meal... You can An insect three-course meal. You could, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is actually... I, I'm giving you a fourth course. This is like, you've come in through the door. It's like, oh, here's a drink, Ollie. Oh, here's a, this is instead of so crisps. We're all familiar with the concept of a snack. Pick one of these. Uh, well, I'll go sweet chilli and lime, but it doesn't say what the noun is. Crunchy roasted crickets. Yep, and I'm mm-hmm. going to go for peri-peri crunchy roasted crickets. Oh, they're all same. crunchy roasted crickets. Okay, yeah, fine. and this okay. is, the, you know, we've come in. These are our crisps. Here we go. Let's, uh, let's have a little... Now, the brand is called Eat Grub. Mm-hmm. British company? They are a British company, yes. So if you're worried about your food miles or whatever, these haven't travelled too far. Well, they have travelled far. Not that far. They've travelled from the Netherlands. So these... Well, the same place the dog food's made. Exactly. They come from that same company. Isn't that interesting? Now, I have not tried any insects. Ever? No. And, and can I just say, for the record, actually, for people who are concerned that we're bullying you into this in some way, mm-hmm. you are a pescatarian but you used to be a full-on carnivore and you're okay with eating insects right yes it's not gonna be a lawsuit after this no no no, no. <laughs> I, on the record i'm happy to eat happy to try i'm not happy to eat it because okay. i'm going to eat it so my one looks like yeah you see you wouldn't know that was an insect i oh, know it has same? got eyes and wings if you don't look carefully it's a small what's it one two three it's a bar snack yeah, I yeah. mean, that could be... It's What you're tasting is the fried, oily, salty... A bit like pork scratchings. Yes, it's a bit like pork scratchings, exactly. It's got a, a faintly 
meaty thing, but you can't quite... It's not related to any substance you'd get on a plate of cooked food. <laughs> I mean, they tried the... to disguise the flavour so hard with all these spices, it's making me cough. Yeah, on that note, let's disguise more flavours. <laughs> and I'll take you through my free course meal. So, for starter, is... Onion bargies. It's yellow, so I'm pleased you said onion bargies. Yeah. <laughs> because nothing else about them would suggest that's what they were, but now I feel at least I can identify what you're aiming for there. That's the turmeric in them. Yep. What, uh, apparently I put too much in, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, do, how should we do it? Do you want to try this first, and then I'll tell you what's in it? I think that's probably best. Yes? Okay, yeah. fine. Do you think there's some insect in that chunk? There's definitely insect in that chunk, okay. yeah. Okay. Much like the bar snacks, mm. that tastes no better nor worse, no offence, than I would expect an Ollie Pitt homemade onion bhaji to taste. They're not very good, actually, are they? Uh, they- <laughs> you said it. No, <laughs> they definitely haven't been seasoned well enough. No better nor worse. But um, I'm not tasting insects. No, you're not tasting insects. So what's in there is cricket powder. Ah, so that, okay, so that's the one I saw you put mm. in that looked. That I said looked like a spice, yeah. Yeah, so, so what, you ground do, up. what you can do with this is you can put it in soups smoothies that kind of stuff to get your protein hit or you can use it in baking Mm. or cooking that uses flour so actually it's not just about people wanting to do the ethical thing Mm. it's about people wanting to get a hit of animal protein in a way that you can't taste yeah so actually it's not like all insects are popular because they taste of something different to other meats it's actually you can't taste them at all basically you could do with being crispier but it's not repellent because of the content of crickets no No. you wouldn't know if if somebody was eating that you would not know those insects, insects in there no You've got a yellow teeth and tongue. <laughs> you're talking to me? It's because it's stuck. It's really off-putting. It's like you've got jaundice. <laughs> okay, ready for course two. The main course is... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you've got grasshopper and cricket curry. Yeah, okay. So that's... I mean, you can see whole insects in the curry. Yep. But it's the rice where... what Would you describe that as maggot basmati? <laughs> I mean, it's it, like it, where you'd normally see grain. I'm seeing things that look like bait. Hey, what I'm going to try and do is describe it in a way that they try and describe food to make it more appetising. Mm-hmm. These are gently roasted <laughs> mealworms infused with microwaved basmati rice. Yeah. <laughs> in an Uncle Ben jus. Yeah, there's yeah. no jus in there. Yeah, no, okay. It's, it's dry as you like. And also, I, I was in the background whilst you were cooking the curry, and I did hear you say... Oh no! Yeah. What was that about? Well, these grasshoppers here—you can see on the back there. There's wings there. Yes. Uh, and then I so I chucked them all in because the lovely lady at Eat Grub that I spoke to said you can just eat them whole. And then I thought, oh, I'll just check the back of the packet <laughs> after I put them in. Yeah. And it said remove the legs and wings. Oh, okay. So we, we'll try and eat them whole, including the wings. Will we? Yeah, we're, we're just, both going to do that. And then we'll we? see because she said on the phone she said you can eat them whole. I reckon it's just a recommendation. Okay, you know, like yeah. this cannot be a serving suggestion. I mean, this is vivid as fuck. It, <laughs> if your mission is to try yeah. and disguise the fact that you've got animal protein from, I insects. just like the idea that the mealworms would kind of go well with the rice. But I think I was way off the mark there. But let's see how they taste. How many worms have you got? I want you to have at least four. Ten. They look like they're going to come. How to many life. have you got? Hardly One, two, any. Three, four, five. You've got to get that whole spoon in. Okay, together though. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine. One, two, three. <laughs> the curry's nice. The curry is good. <laughs> I'll hand it to you. You don't know how to do Indian. Mm. Your Thai, very good. The thing is, the thing I'm noticing more than anything 
it's not so much the texture or anything like that it's literally my mind this is an uh, this is a yes. definite case of mind over matter yes because i i if I didn't know that was grasshopper, I would happily munch away on that. What did you say this does to your dog's poo afterwards? <laughs> it's easy to pick up. You should try it with your own. <laughs> I'm going to let you know. Oh, mine is easy to don't pick up. Don't send a photo. And dessert. I can't wait. Okay, well, dessert, yeah. Now, I've pulled out all the stops for this dessert. Have you? Yep, I went... This this would win the technical on Bake Off, this one. I've gone for... It's a Rice Krispie cake, isn't it? It is a Rice Krispie cake. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's melted chocolate with Rice Krispies. Yeah. Um, and what's the killer ingredient? Oh, should I tell you or should you just eat it? Okay, I'm looking at it. I can't see any insect in there. If you Don't told look me, for them. Oh just my eat it. God, I just saw one. No, no, I? no, just eat. What are you doing? I just saw it. It looks like something crawling in a shit. Is it maggots? Ollie, I'm not telling you what it is. Everything in me tells me not to put that in my mouth. On three. Three, oh. two, one. Mmm. <laughs> That's the best thing so That's far. That's a good Rice Krispie cake. That is the best one so far. Mm. Right, is it maggots? No. What is it? Because they look like maggots. They are also mealworms. Okay. Are they definitely dead? There's no chance they can come to life in my stomach. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no. He's the way, <clears throat> Genuinely, the way that they're killed... So this is another thing for the ethical thing. These are all cold-blooded animals. So the way that they kill them is they just gradually lower the temperature in their condos. That's what they're called. They're uh, grown or farmed in condos. Are they now? They are. And they gradually lower the temperature until they... What's the Rice Krispie cake called? The Retirement Village. (laughs) (laughs) And then they just die. They just die a peaceful, cold death. Right. Already two and a half billion people across the world eat insects every day. There are 1,600 species of insects that are eaten on a regular basis every day across the globe. So where? Because we know that, like, Amazonian tribes and stuff eat them. But, like, where is it a mainstream food in a developed country? Mainly Asian countries. So places like China and Mm. Thailand. So if, if you... Somebody will have a travel story of going around Thailand and seeing somebody serving up some kind of cockroach on a stick or whatever. Yes, yeah. Um, And and they regularly consume insects. And there is an argument for vegetarians and vegans to adopt insect protein in in place of some plant protein, which seems counterintuitive, but by farming or industrialised farming of plants, Mm. you actually destroy large swathes of habitat for certain mammals, like moles, voles, mice... Right. So you could be and are killing more mammals by eating plants than you would do if you're eating insects, because these insects are farmed in a big facility. They require very little energy. They very little light. They thrive in the dark. You know, and there's no heavy industrialized sort of machinery that's needed for that. Okay, I think we have to say that you have successfully completed a challenge. That was a success, wasn't it? It was. Not the onion bargies, everything else. What I will do, though, is I'll put a little warning out there for people that are thinking of trying insects. If you have a shellfish allergy, you can't. Can't eat it. You're likely to be allergic to insects as well. Is that right? Okay. And you've got a promo code as well. Yeah. If people want to try it, they can. Uh, You head over to Eat Grub's website. Eat Grub. Eat Grub. And uh, type in the code MAN15, M-A-N-N, 15. Well, time to give you your challenge for next month's show. Your final challenge of the year. Oh, that's exciting. Are you psyched? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. You actually are. Well, it's the last one of the year. I can see. You're high on maggots. It's from man fan Andy in Peterborough, who says... I recently lost my job. I'm sorry to hear that, Andy. Uh, And so I thought I'd try to get some work through TaskRabbit and Fiverr in the run-up to Christmas. Are you aware of these places? I've heard of Fiverr. Yeah. And I I think I've heard of them both, actually. Yeah. So you basically advertise your services doing small tasks for people on the internet. Yeah, but Fiverr, you do it for a Fiverr, don't you? 
I don't know. We're going to find out. Not going to get far with that. Um, He says, I've not had much luck. Can Ollie investigate how much money he can earn advertising his services online? My services? He doesn't specify. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's, if anything, the bit that appealed to us most. I don't know what immediately occurs to you as something you could offer as a paid... I don't mean to demean your professional skills as a broadcaster. Sure. But I don't know what I'd pay £5 to have you do for me. (laughs) What can you do? Well, I'll do anything for money, so... You know. what, but, but I mean what's an example of something I mean you can fix a phone you've proven that well it didn't work did it I could do a magic trick so uh, the challenge is to advertise your services and see see but basically how much money you can make in the run up to Christmas on the internet by hiring yourself out not in that way I've never done a profile for any of those things so if anybody's out there got any advice drop me a line Twitter at Ollie EP you are aren't you yeah that's it O-double-L-I-E I spell it correctly Okay, thank you, Ollie. In a moment, you will meet Chris, but first, it's our record of the month. It's a five piece pop soul outfit from San Antonio, Texas. They're called The Foreign Arm. The song is called A Light, and it's out November 22nd. I don't take it for granted. I got a good spirit inside me, but sometimes it does get cloudy. Need some common sense around me, I know. That sometimes I can be flighty, but I'm working on it nightly. I just hope that I can see it through. Paint a picture of a salad over and obfuscate the references and purpose of what's up Can I say I'm working on it? But it's like my sock is on it. I just leave it all on the floor. Now be the change. Thriver sponsored this episode of The Modern Man. Hi, uh, I'm Hamish. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Thriver.co. Thriver is a finger prick blood test that you can do from home uh, that helps you understand what you can't see is going on inside your body. What have you learned about yourself by doing a Thriver test? I had really low B12 levels, which I started supplementing. I interestingly started over-supplementing and I saw them rise too high, so I had to trim it back. What would you say to someone listening to this who thinks, well, that sounds like interesting technology, but I don't don't know why I need to do it. There's nothing wrong with me. Not everyone is looking to become um, an Ironman athlete. Some people want to shift a bit of weight. Some people want to sleep better. Some people are thinking about having a family. All of that, to some degree or another, comes down to what's happening inside your body. Get on the front foot with your health. With £30 off your first Thriver home kit. Just visit Thriver.co and use the code MAN30. That's the word M-A-N-N and the numbers 30. Now, could the skills you've learned in your job help save your life? Actually, we've interviewed quite a few people over the years who could answer yes to that question. Adventurer, air steward, soldier. Well, listener Chris Pike is another to add to that list. But he's the first martial arts self-defence instructor that I've ever spoken to. So, unusually, I made sure to tell him about my regularly dislocating shoulder before our interview began, just in case he intended to demonstrate. Martial arts has been a passion of his since he first started fencing as a child and I was about 19 or 20 when I started doing Wing Chun Kung Fu Wing Chun Kung Fu yes it's what Bruce Lee learned originally so it's a relatively recent proper Chinese martial art and it was originally designed by women because they were having problems with gang violence 
and all the men there were trained. So when they were getting attacked, they didn't know what to do. So they designed a martial art for smaller people, and it's a very, very effective martial art. That's interesting because immediately we're on to the conversation about whether martial arts is defence. Like, people talk about it as self-defence. Yes. Or whether it's attack. A lot of the kids that were into martial arts when I was a child seemed to do it because they quite liked hitting people, and this was a forum in which they could expend some energy and do that too. And whenever I'd point that out to them, they'd say, no, 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 there were rules, and, you know, you you, you never go attacking someone. But absolutely, they were using it to express some pent-up violence. Yeah, there's certainly an element of that, and I would definitely be lying if I was to say that it's not fun to go and spend a couple of hours a week hitting people in an environment where it's kind of encouraged. Was that part of what got you into it? Yeah, probably, to be honest. When did you decide that you wanted to do it professionally? So I started a class that was called Defence Lab. Very, very different to what I'd trained before. People will actually be familiar with it, probably, because it's the martial art that was used in the Christopher Nolan Batman films. And Jack Reacher. And um, Taken with Liam Neeson. So quite balletic? No, it's kind of trying to be a lot more grounded in connecting and throwing genuine shots instead of these big fancy flying kicks and that kind of thing which you tend to think of in the superhero film. And yeah, so I was training that in class and probably 10 to 12 hours a week at home. Wow. It struck me in a way that it just hadn't before. nice thing that we do in class is a position called the fence. A defensive stance, but doesn't look like you're ready for a fight. Can you show it to me? Of course. So a normal fighting stance is like feet out quite widespread. Mm -hmm. The fence is a narrower stance and hands here. So as someone approaches you, hands out in front of you. Mate, I don't want any trouble, right? It's interesting, like you're being defensive, but you're also invading my space a bit i'm not invading their space they're coming in and putting my hands in their space if they carry on approaching Mm. and that works really well because when somebody gets right up in you've got both your hands in that defensive thing on their shoulders so as soon as they then start to take a swing you can like manipulate their body move them push them away get them in a headlock whatever when did you realize that you could actually make that your job I was approached at one point by the instructor to go on their instructor training program. That felt amazing. It's like being recognised as good enough to lead a class. And from there, I persuaded family to bring up the money to get me into the program. It was a case of I found a way of making the one thing that I've ever felt particularly good at my work who did you think your class should be for women 
I think having it as a self-defense class, it probably speaks to them more. Why? Because, unfortunately, they are the people who tend to get attacked more. There are stories everywhere of women getting attacked. Brought up to be scared of walking down dark alleyways. Brought up to be cautious of the bloke who's walking 20 yards behind you regardless of whether he's acting strangely or not so being able to have a bit of confidence that if something does happen they've got a set of tools to just protect themselves look after themselves a bit i think that's got to be very appealing what i don't want to do is get into the kind of american model of self-defense classes where they'll have an eight-week course and it's sold with this idea of come do eight weeks with us and whatever happens you'll be able to protect yourself and it's nonsense i run it as a martial art not as a course because you need to keep training to be able to remember stuff when it happens once you start to learn you start to feel a bit more confident you carry yourself in a different way as soon as you start carrying yourself in a way where you feel confident that you can protect yourself, you're much less likely to actually be targeted. Says who? There was a study done with a group of psychopaths in a prison. And they got volunteers to come in and walk past them. And the psychopaths could pick out all the people who had been victims of abuse because they carried themselves in a different way. And they'd be like, I'd go for that one. I'd go for that one. Oh, not her. Not him. Not her. I'd go for that one. And that's because, if that's true, they were carrying innately a sense of their own personal experiences with them in their physical projection. And I understand why someone would want to avoid projecting that. Yeah, absolutely. But doesn't it then sort of become acting? And do you really want to be acting a different physicality to what you would naturally have all the time you're walking down the street in case someone is trying to pick on you? I don't think it is acting. I think acting implies a deliberate affectation of something that isn't there. Once you start learning and become more confident and you start carrying yourself differently because of that inherent confidence, there's no conscious part of it at all. You stop feeling so vulnerable. So you stop kind of shrinking into yourself as you walk. You see the people like stooped shoulders and kind of very nervous looking who are subconsciously kind of trying to be small and less noticeable but unfortunately it makes them far more noticeable especially to the kind of person who's looking for somebody to kind of go after one of my longer term students she doesn't train me anymore but she was very very nervous she was on a night out and a guy tried to pull her down an alleyway and she used a couple of the techniques that we taught her, and it worked. We have a technique called an arm drag, which is really, really simple. When somebody tries to grab hold of you or push you, 
you catch their hand with one hand, you hook under their arm with your other hand, and step sideways and just sweep them through, and then you grab onto them and take them down to the floor. And she found that when that happened and she needed it, and she wasn't thinking about everything, she just did it, and it worked. That must be really empowering. For me or her? For her. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Whereas before she'd come into class and be quite withdrawn, she came in and she was so excited to tell us and so excited to get into class and do new things. But something happened about three years ago now, I think, which very much changed how I teach. So I was out for a walk, uh, it was about midnight, noticed but didn't have stuff for the kids' packed lunches, so I had to walk down to a 24-hour Tesco's, I had my headphones on, listening to some podcasts, and sat down on a wall outside a park, little wall, about a foot off the floor, and all of a sudden a woman was stood in front of me. And she was talking to me, couldn't hear her. Because you had your headphones on. Yeah. So reached up to take my headphones off. And as I did that, a guy stepped out from behind her, swinging at me. With his fists? Yeah. Yeah. I ducked my head down. Took shot on the top of the head. It was not too bad. Nice thick bit of bone there. Not a lot of nerve endings. You can take that shot quite easily. And then I got up to try and defend myself against him. The idea was to try and connect into him, so get into a kind of clinch, because it's something that we train a lot, and most people don't know how to function in that kind of area. Get connected, take him down to the floor, and... Call the police. Pretty much, yeah. So I got up, and another guy stepped out behind me, and pin my arms behind my back. Did you get the impression that you were being targeted for no, some reason? No, not at all. And the first guy just started laying into me. Good, solid shots as well. And I remember not panicking. It was strange. I was just counting the shots that came in whilst trying to get myself free. But How many were there? I think I remember counting eight. And because your hands were tied back behind your back, you couldn't really... All I could do was tuck my head in, chin to the chest, shoulders up, trying to make my head as solidly connected to my body so it wasn't getting whipped around by the shots, because that's a good way of getting knocked out. So yeah, I took a lot of shots to the face and finally managed to get myself free. Uh, Guy who was holding me was strong. You can see I'm not a big guy. I'm six foot tall. At that time, I probably weighed about nine stone. Mm. So obvious thought of trying to get free was to just lift my feet up and drop down. And I lifted my feet up and didn't move at all. He was just holding me there. So I started like kicking at his legs and just wriggling and trying to get free. And eventually I did try to connect to this guy. And everything was kind of... Glasses were off at that point in the road. Everything was a bit fuzzy and getting a bit of double vision. Just couldn't quite connect to him. 
So I got him out into the road. Guy who was grabbing me before came up again, grabbed me from behind and slammed me into the floor. I rolled and got back up. Both of them went back onto a path, shouting at me to come back onto a path. It's like, right, well, they don't want to be in the road. I'm staying here. So I went and sat back down, kind of composed myself. How are you feeling at that point? I mean, you're someone who teaches self-defense and you've just had your first serious attack, really. Kind of embarrassed because I didn't make the connection. I didn't defend myself properly, but also so glad for the training because if I hadn't known to tuck my head, if I hadn't trained enough to roll back up into a standing position when hitting the floor I don't know what would have happened so yeah so I sat down composed myself and a couple of minutes later they came back and tried to mug me what stuff did you have on you your headphones headphones phone all of my um, insulin and blood testing kit for my diabetes that they managed to get because I'd left my backpack on the wall not much use to them I shouldn't imagine no so yeah they got away with my backpack but I still had my phone my headphones and all that kind of stuff so they weren't really trying to mug you they no got away it was an thought, absolute afterthought it was just let's violently attack someone yeah and you didn't know them and no you, not a clue never seen them before at this point I'm pretty sure looking back on it that I was definitely concussed at that point because my thought then was oh shit I've still got to go to Tesco's and get the lunch <laughs> That string of cheese isn't going to buy itself. Exactly. And what should you have been thinking? Get me to a hospital? Yeah, probably. There was blood everywhere. A lip split, a cut up on my cheekbone. Quite a lot of bleeding. Um, I got down towards about halfway to the shop from where I was attacked. And a woman pulled over. It's like, what the fuck happened to you? It's like, oh, I was attacked. It's fine. I'm just going to go to Tesco's, clean myself up in the bathroom. So you obviously looked a lot worse than you thought you did. It would appear so, yeah. What did she say? She's like, no, you're fucking not. Get in the car. I'm taking you to hospital. That's a bit of a gamble on her part, isn't it? Because what might have just happened to you is you might have just attacked someone. Yeah. More than possible. Or you could but, be drunk or you could be, you know, whatever. Yeah. But there are some good Samaritans around, apparently. Yeah. And... What were you, were you talking to her in the car on the way there? Did you tell her what had happened? Yeah, and I convinced her not to take me to the hospital. There's an ambulance station just a little way from where she picked me up and I got her to drop me off there because I was like, it's not as bad as it looks. I've still got to go to the shop. <laughs> if I go to the hospital, that's miles away from anywhere where I can buy the lunch and I'll be there for hours. So just drop me off there and it'll be fine. So she did that and... They rushed me to the hospital. I had the police turn up, like take swabs, take statement, that kind of thing. About three weeks later, I still had double vision, so I was getting a bit worried. So I went back to the hospital and they referred me up to Oxford because they've got a 
special maxiofacial department, I think it's called. And met up with the consultant after the scans. He's like, right, we're going to have to get you in for an operation. We found a fracture. Need to make sure we reset it. Otherwise, we don't know whether your eyesight will go back to normal. What was the risk? The longer the bones take to set in the wrong place, the harder it is to then reset them because I have to re-break it. Even on the CT scan, it didn't show up as badly as it actually was he found one small fracture on the eye socket and I remember coming around after the operation and this was supposed to be a minor resetting operation and I'd take half an hour for him to do and he spoke to me after and it turned out that it was four and a half hours of reconstruction because what happened was there was a fracture on the inside of my eye socket going all the way down to my upper jaw. There was one on the outside going down just a little bit, and both those are held together with titanium pins. And there was a section which was obscured by all the sinuses and stuff on the scan, which is about a two-pence piece size just under here and that was shattered so badly that they had to remove all the bone and replace it with titanium mesh. And I can see that you're getting kind of shaky just reliving talking about that, weirdly yeah, more, more so than talking about the attack itself. Like, Was that the moment you realised that you'd survive something quite serious? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I knew I'd taken a beating. You could have been blinded, you could have, I mean, you could have died, couldn't you, if you hadn't rolled in the yeah. right way? Yeah, absolutely. One thing I've always carried with me from it is I'm glad it happened to me instead of someone else because I knew how to hold my head. Because when I hit the floor, I could use the momentum of going down to get back up. What if that had been somebody who couldn't? I had a while off because I had to have a patch over one eye because I just had such bad double vision for months. It's quite hard to teach a martial art when you've got zero depth perception, funnily enough. But when you did finally tell it to your class, how did they respond? Better than I imagined. I had a bit of a niggling doubt, one might say a justified concern, that when they hear their self-defence instructor couldn't defend himself, they might lose a bit of faith in the system. I explained what happened and I think it actually helped to a certain extent because they saw that even if it goes wrong, even if it's the worst situation you can imagine being put in, you can still come out the other side of it. And has it changed the way you teach? We've put a lot more into how you hold yourself, how you can hit the floor and be okay. Attitude-wise, it's focusing more on the panic of a situation focusing on the oh shit everything's gone wrong and learning to have that kind of ability to still function while that panic reaction is going on is there a danger it makes you slightly paranoid i'm not sure i want to live my life thinking i might get attacked I'm not sure I want to be constantly thinking about protecting myself from dark forces. It's a lot of fun. 
to go and learn stuff. It's a lot of fun to go and have a environment where you can let out a bit of pent-up aggression. If you've had a bad week at work, just go and hit some pads and get the adrenaline and the heart rate pumping. And you don't need to always be paranoid that something's going to happen. You don't need to be focusing on the negatives and worrying and stressing and being anxious. You can just go and have a fun hobby which solves that situation if it comes up. And the people who did this to you, did you ever find out any more about them? Nope, never got caught. I mean, the police took DNA swabs from my face, but my case was closed and I'll unlikely ever hear anything about it. So it's been three years? About that, yeah. And what are the repercussions for you still? That's open to some debate. If you ask my wife, that would be when depression and anxiety started. That walk that you've done hundreds of times down to Tesco. Yeah. How do you feel when you do that walk now? Fine. I just sit somewhere slightly more well lit and on a junction so cars will be able to see me easier. You wrote into the show. You wanted to be on the show. What was it you really wanted our listeners to know? I want to encourage people to learn some self-defence, essentially. I'm not going to push any particular school, any particular style. Go and learn the basics. Spend some time and have some fun, just so that if something does happen, and we can only hope that it doesn't, but if it does, just have something in your belt that you can use. And that really is just a case of two or three tricks, basically. Yeah. To deal with the most common approaches you might have. Yeah, absolutely. And don't fall foul of the, oh, I'll just kick him in the nuts. It doesn't work. Chris Pike. And if you would like to tell me your story on a future edition of the show, visit modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and click feedback. And if you live in the west of England and you'd like to try Chris's class, search Chimera Self-Defence on Facebook. Alex Fox will be here to answer your sex questions after this. I want to have sex on the beach. Come on, there's a party in my pants. Although I must remind you, Ollie, that both oily SPF sun protection lotions and sand can both damage condoms. The strong advice will continue flowing throughout the foxhole. It's Alex Fox. How are you? I'm great. Life currently has more highlights than an 80s frosted perm. I have become a judge on Love Honey's designer sex toy competition 2019. So this is like the Cadbury's designer dairy milk thing. Like they are actually going to get their dildo made. Yes, yeah, if it's it's a good enough design. Are you allowed to submit one based on your own uh, particulars? Anatomy. Yeah. (laughs) If you think that there's huge demand for the Ollie Man manhood, then sure, go ahead. I was generalising this for the audience. I think we all know there's huge demand for that. There was a guy called um, Trevor Murphy who made probably the most famous sex toy to have gone into production as a result of this competition in the past. I bet it wasn't called the Trevor. It was called the Squeal. I think we've chatted about it before in the past. It's a wheel of rotating tongues that's designed... Yes. to imitate Cunnilingus. Yes, yeah. we have. To date. A memorable image. <laughs> with both the prize money itself mm-hmm. and the proportion of profits he's made from international sales, Trevor has come home with £320,000. That's extraordinary. And if people want to um, <clears throat> enter, uh, how do they do that? 
Uh, head to lovehoney.co.uk forward slash design a sex toy. And it's time for your questions of sex. This one comes from anonymous man fan, in both sets of the words, uh, who says, I am a bisexual male. I have a liberal view on sex, in some part due to this very podcast. That's nice to hear, isn't it? Yes. I believe that all kinds of sex is acceptable. And then he's <laughs> put four examples in brackets, but I think we can all imagine what they are. Uh, and as long as everyone consents, it's all okay. The issue is that I'm a student teacher who's about to start teaching in a very strict catholic secondary school now i remember being taught in my old school that gay people are not sinful in and of themselves but they should remain abstinent to avoid sin i don't know the school's stances on sexuality or identity but i did some reading on the scriptures view of homosexuality and the reading wasn't great the bible says that all sex should stay between a married man and wife and all homosexual sex is unnatural more liberal catholics have said that it's not the homosexual sex itself that is unnatural but only being driven by lust but they seem to be in the minority is there a way to reconcile the scriptures view on homosexuality and sex and my liberal views in the classroom how can i discuss a sex positive view of scripture there you go alex untangle that one well i don't have a scripture based script for this and off the bat i'd just like to say this is an enormous question it's huge so we're probably not going to cover all of it in the foxhole but it's first not where you up, traditionally come for your theological based <laughs> <laughs> answers so i think i don't know i think some people are very religious about me and my, my foxhole nonetheless they, they're definitely on their knees a lot anyway i, I think, think a pricey is appropriate well first up let's just return to this idea of doing some reading on the scriptures view of home sexuality and finding that the reading wasn't great. I think it's important to underline that there are many different ways of interpreting the Bible and you might find it useful to check out a website called queertheology.com Love it. Um, it's a collection of, as they say, inspiration and encouragement for LGBTQ Christians because there are lots of people out there who are Catholic or another denomination of, of Christianity and who are also gay or lesbian or, or, or anything else along the uh, the lgbtq spectrum this website is a really good place to start if you want some reassurance that actually for want of a better phrase the bible isn't as straightforward as some people you might encounter will claim um, because it was written by so many different people what it is consistent in is preaching love tolerance and acceptance and those three things are perhaps more pertinent to bear in mind in the new testament there's a lot of smiting going on in the Old Testament, I can vouch firsthand. I contacted a guy called Danny, who belongs to an organisation named Diversity Role Models. They try and create a sense of empathy and understanding in young people by sending folks who are LGBTQ plus into schools to have conversations with them about their lived experience. So it's not about somebody preaching to you about what you should and shouldn't believe. It's a chat between people from different backgrounds about what that means to them. Um, I absolutely think our writer should get in touch with diversity role models if the school in which he teaches is open to that but that's one of the first things that Danny said he said you're going into a new job here don't assume that because this is a catholic school it's necessarily going to be totally anti-LGBTQ keep an open mind figure out who's who in the school first have some conversations uh, work out who is responsible for teaching sex education and how they're going about that uh, and try not to make this a confrontation from the off 
He also said it might be really useful to read up on the new guidance that's going to come in. We've spoken about this on the show before. As of September 2020, sex education is going to become compulsory across all schools in England and that includes faith schools. You'll often see uh, the phrase preparing for life in modern Britain. The idea is that young people no matter what their own faith background is should be open-minded and prepared to encounter other people in the workplace, uh, if they go on placements, um, you know in the wider world they will 100% encounter people who have different belief systems and different sexualities and different backgrounds to themselves the government say that young people need to be prepared for that Um, so if the writer can come at this from the angle of hey I'd really love to know what the school's plans are here and how I can help them on their journey towards making sure that we are fulfilling our criteria for 2020 and hey maybe as part of that we could invite someone in from diversity role models um, then that means that he's coming at it from the angle of I want to be a good teacher and an asset to this school rather than I want to inflict my beliefs upon uh, a school where the, the beliefs may be different. Also, as a teacher, it's really important to bear in mind that you're sharing information. Um, you're not saying one thing is better than another. You're saying here are the facts. Um, I spoke to Zara El Bajawi from Brook, um, who are a young people's sexual wellbeing charity, and she underlined that as well. She said, if you stick to facts rather than value judgments, then you're allowing the young people in your classroom and those around them to make their own minds up about things. You're, you're, you're not saying here is what you should think. You're just laying things out as they are. Even if our writer here does go into the school and find that they are not ready for him to talk about LGBTQ issues uh, in a way that isn't going to get him into trouble employment-wise or create a, a really difficult situation for him, he can at least be aware of the language he's using. So no matter what he's talking about, he doesn't have to say, oh, well, when a man and a woman get together or when a daddy and a mummy do this. He can say uh, when two people are in a relationship, for example. So he can model his own beliefs in a more subtle way or at least make the young people in those classrooms who... um, statistics say there are going to be a proportion of them who will be questioning their sexuality or who will quietly or maybe openly know that they are some form of LGBTQ he will make them feel seen and that can have a much much bigger impact on a young person than you might expect. Okay great advice are there other resources our listeners should be looking at? Yes there are loads of resources out there there's a great guy called Andrew Moffat who is um, a gay teacher himself he's actually in the top 10 as a finalist for the Global Teacher 2019 Award, which gives you an idea of how successful he's been. He works in schools in Birmingham and having left a Christian school because of his gay identity, um, he felt some personal disappointment in himself, I think, and, and also some heartache that he hadn't been able to speak openly about LGBTQ issues and and he wanted to um, he wanted to rectify that so he accepted a job at another school in Birmingham that's actually 98% Muslim and managed to create an environment 
primarily by working with other teachers, by being very transparent with parents about what he was teaching and by being very um, inclusive and collaborative with everybody involved in those young people's education. Um, he's managed to uh, establish uh, an organisation called No Outsiders. So hold on, is this the guy who's been in the headlines in Birmingham where there have been protests outside his school? There has been a lot of controversy around the kinds of things that he teaches and indeed in other schools too. So because you make it sound like it all went swimmingly. I mean, this is not what our questioner wants to happen to him, is it? He's trying to stay away from that kind of quagmire. I think what to take out of this situation that's heartening is that Andrew is still an extremely successful teacher who is, I think, showing that there's a lot of promise and a lot of hope in the idea that people from faith groups and of even very devout religious backgrounds can have constructive experiences with those in the education system. This is a controversial and difficult topic. No shit. Yeah. But I don't think that that's an excuse to stop trying. And having heard from so many young people and adults whose teachers let them down by not trying... I just don't think any of us can afford to say this is hard so I'll leave it to somebody else. We owe it to young people to try every way that we can and there are others out there who also want to try who are sharing resources, who are sharing the support, who share a vision where religious people and LGBTQ rights people can work together for successful outcomes, which is young people who respect others, respect themselves, and feel able to live full, free lives, whether or not they believe in God. Well, some excellent trying on your behalf, Alex. You can drop the hot potato now, and uh, next month we'll return to talking about wangers. Uh, <laughs> if you have a question of sex for Alex, what do you need to do with it? Don't steer away from the difficult questions. We're all here to learn and evolve and improve together. That's the point of the foxhole and wangers. Us. But head to modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and hit feedback. Alex, thank you. Foxhole Christmas special next month. Tra la 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 la. And with that, we have reached the end of this month's Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new man ambassador. It is Robin in Oli, Norway, who says, Ollie, I stumbled upon your show by accident when I was looking for another show that I now do not remember the title of, even though they had some similarities. Keep on making your amazing show, and I will make sure some beer money comes your way. If you're lacking a man ambassador for Norway, I am available. Uh, Robin, thank you. I feel Norway is too large a territory for us to give away these days. We've got to keep the longevity in this format. However, I am delighted to appoint you ambassador for Oli. Uh, it's written A-U-L-I, but I'm assured by Norwegian friend Benta that you pronounce it Oli. So if I've got that wrong, blame her. Until next time, our theme music is by Django Django. I've been Oli Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you for our annual Christmas Spectacular on the 1st of December. I'm taking for granted that this life is longer than I thought it'd be. It's gone from simply gathering age now to finding quality. Don't waste my time on those that bother me. The ones that's probably robbing peeps that got problems with honesty. Don't make this harder than it has to be. Drop and ask your pastor, please. It comes with this goodbye for me. Oh, we can drink to our health, but now we don't need anyone else. I'm gonna be good to everyone that I see because I just can't help but be. And when it comes back around, and gonna catch me with my damn hand out. Helping my man out. I want my reputation to perceive me so that when these people see me, know the hop I just got easy and I wanna fill up your role all the time and keep the ones I love close to heart, close to mind. 
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.